0: If you're a skeptic, are you the one that's really looking for answers? Or are you the one that just simply refuses to believe anything?
1: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study.
0: We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, the fourth book of the new testament matthew mark luke and john and i entitled this message seeing the unbelievable have you ever noticed how faith-filled we can be when we can see everything with our own eyes like when we sit down to do the bills at the end of the month if we have an overabundance of cash we don't even hesitate to pay our bills why because we know we have plenty Yet consider the blind faith we use when we board a plane, trusting that all those thousands of parts that it takes to put together an airplane, that they're all going to function perfectly and properly. Yes, we all exercise blind faith in many areas of life. You know, like when putting gas into our cars. You know, we don't question. We pull into a gas station and we assume the obvious. I'm going to put this gas pump into my tank and I'm going to squeeze the handle and the gas is going to fill my tank, number one. And number two, simultaneously while that's happening, a vacuum will go into my wallet and start sucking money out. Yes, there are numerous things in everyday life that we do simply out of habit. Things that we do by blind faith. Yet when it comes time to simply trust and believe God by faith, to believe in all of his promises that he's written to us in his word that he made to us through the Bible, we will many times be faithless. Why is that? We're faithless, leading us to miss the hand of God and his promises. He conquered sin and death. He made a way for every single human being to be forgiven and to be set free. Not everyone's forgiven. Not everyone's set free. But he made a way. He made a way that we could find true hope in a world that's lost its way. In a world that we see the wheels coming off. Yet why are there so many people today in life with no hope whatsoever? Why are there more people now in America that don't believe in Jesus than any other time in our nation's history? Or at least they don't believe in this Jesus of the Bible. They might say they believe in Jesus, but it's not always the Jesus of the Bible that they're believing in. Well, it all has to do with the fickleness of the human heart. And that's one thing that hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. For even those who walked with Jesus had their faith in Jesus rattled to the core as they saw him beaten, bludgeoned, and crucified. But tonight, we'll see how their faith was restored as they saw Jesus resurrected and alive. We're going to consider three points in lot of our title. Seeing the unbelievable. Number one, the faithful see. Oh, the faithful were petrified. They were scared. They didn't know what was going to happen next. But they will see. We're reminded of the faithful scene when we consider Abraham. Because he was someone who was faithful, and he ended up seeing what he believed in. That's why they call him the father of the faith. God had promised to Abraham that his descendants would be like the stars of heaven, like the sand on the seashore. Only one problem with that prediction that God gave to Abraham. He didn't have any kids. How are his descendants going to outnumber the stars of heaven when he doesn't have any kids? And making it even worse... The guy's already in his 80s, and his wife, she's in her 70s. But yet, Abraham, he believed, even though he couldn't see anything, but he believed God. Why? Because God simply said it. That's it. God said it, so he believed it. And God counted it unto Abraham as righteousness. So he says, I'm going to make you in right standings. That word righteousness means in right standings. Because you believe me, though, you can't see anything, Abraham. And you're an old man. You're all shriveled up. But you believe me because I said it. I'm going to make you righteous because of that. 20 years would pass by making Abraham now a 100 years old. And his wife 90 years old. Still, no kids to have these descendants come through. So... God shows up and tells Abraham, oh, you're going to have a baby. Next year, this time, you're going to have a baby. Well, Sarah, his wife, was eavesdropping, kind of the ear to the wall, listening to this conversation he's having with the Lord. And what did she do? She just laughed to herself like, yeah, like, right? Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm 90. I'm going to have a kid now? I don't think so. The Bible describes Sarah as an extremely beautiful woman. Yet Sarah would have traded her beauty and for motherhood in a hot second. Yes, her dream of having a baby was completely gone as a 90-year-old woman. So all she had left was to simply laugh when she heard the Lord tell that to her husband. But God reminded Abraham after she laughed of what I think we all need to be reminded of here today. And he said this in Genesis 18, 14. He says to Abraham, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? That's a great question, isn't it? He says, is there anything too difficult? The one who stretched out his arm and he created the heavens and the earth, the different universes? I mean, Abraham didn't know this then. He just looked up and saw stars in the sky. But we know now that there's 100 billion galaxies out there. And each one a 100 billion stars. Abraham just knew there was a bunch of stars. He didn't know there was that many. And he says, at the appointed time, I will return to you this time next year, Abraham. And your wife, Sarah, she's going to have a baby. Well, guess what happened? That happened. That 90-year-old woman had a baby a year later. It's like, hey, she had exactly what the Lord said. But I wonder if we believe what God had told Abraham. He says, there is nothing too difficult for God. I wonder if you really believe that. Or maybe we can only believe what we can see. Oh, if I see it, then I'll believe it. I wonder how many times that we, just like Sarah, have become cynical and faithless simply because we don't see something. Yes, it's much harder to have faith to believe when we're not seeing something with our own eyes, isn't it? Now, faith is defined in the Bible. In Hebrews 11:1 it says, Now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. That's what real faith is. Like, you can't see it, but you know what's going to happen. And in this case, as a believer, when God gives us a promise in the Bible and he says something's going to happen or a promise is made to us, guess what? It can happen. Why? Because God said it. Yes, the faithful will see and receive. The faithful will always receive even though they don't see. Oh, they'll see eventually when it happens. But the faithful believe even without seeing. As you know, again, today being Easter, the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And when Peter and John heard from Mary Magdalene that the tomb was empty, you're not going to believe this. They mocked her. Yeah, right. Typical woman. What are you coming in here? Telling us that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen, that you talk to him? Really? Are you serious? You want us to believe that? But they ran out the door. And they ran up to the tomb. we got to see this for ourselves. They ran to the tomb. Now, the Bible says in John that John outran Peter. I guess when you're writing a book, you can point out little things like that. Hey, I'm in better shape than Peter the fisherman. I outran him to the empty tomb. But when they got there, John going into the tomb first, they found his burial clothes there in the tomb, but no body was in the clothes. The Bible says at that moment that John looked in and he saw it and he believed instantly. Oh my goodness, he's alive. He is risen. He just immediately believed. But Peter goes inside, grabs the the clothes that had wrapped his dead body. He was critically analyzing the tomb and he pondered what he saw thinking, how can this be? Now, both Peter and John looked at the very same thing, did they not? How could John believe so sincerely while Peter was critically questioning what was happening? Well, call it a lack of faith or maybe Peter was just being a skeptic. I just don't understand this. I think there are many skeptics in our day and age, don't you? But why is that? Because there's a lot of people that say many different things out there. And we know there's a lot of fake news out there. And everything on the internet, oh, is not necessarily true. How is a person to know, then, what is right and wrong? Remember, a skeptic, according to the dictionary, is a person who habitually doubts. A person who habitually questions. Who habitually suspends judgment of things that are generally accepted. Oh, everyone knows this. Well, I don't know. Yeah, but it's like, it's right here. I I don't know. I wonder what it is with you. Would that describe any of you? I wonder if you're a skeptic. Know this, it's not always bad to be somewhat of a skeptic. It's not always bad. For we should never just accept whatever is just spoken, especially in our day and age. But why? Because there are far too many falsehoods out there. I even find myself being a skeptic at times. This is why we as Christians who have the answers to life questions because of God's word, we must be open to sharing those with people who are looking for answers. I know I had many questions about life before I came to know Christ I couldn't understand how I could be so lonely on the inside why was I lonely why did I have this emptiness inside there was no real reason for it I had a lot of things going for me I was athletic I did a lot of different things I had the coolest car in my high school you know all of these things you know but why why was I so empty inside I couldn't understand it. I couldn't put my finger on it. Why do I have a Grand Canyon-sized void inside of me? Why was I so unsatisfied? Why did nothing seem to last? I'd have great moments and great this and great promise, and yet it didn't last. Why was happiness so fleeting for me? How could I be so happy one day and then the next day not be so happy? Yet when I sought answers in a mainline religious denomination, all I found was a storehouse of dead religion, and it didn't appeal to me at all. I needed help, though. Why? Because I was sinking in the quicksand of life. So I thought, well, the answer to life is not in a church, that's for sure. I wanted to see something before I believed it. Well, I can tell you this. I never saw anything with my eyes concerning God But when someone shared with me the love of Jesus sitting at a kitchen counter in Upland, California, it all seemed to make sense. Not at first, though. Because at first, when they first started talking about Jesus to me, I'm just like sitting there like, okay, great. At what point are you going to shift into Latin so that I don't know what you're talking about? Okay, anyway, I was just sitting there not listening at all. And then they said, And Jesus said, everything you've said in the dark will be heard in the lights. Everything you've whispered in the inner rooms, I'm going to proclaim on the housetops of heaven. It's appointed for every man and woman to die once and after this comes judgment. And it was like a giant floodlight came out of heaven and just went on me. I didn't hear another word that was spoken. All I was just sitting there like, wow, I'm going to hell in a handbasket. Because my sin, the party animal that I was, Mr. Bong, Mr. Taking Speed. I had a girl pregnant in high school at the time. I'm just like, my life is a scam because people think I'm this nice guy. And I'm just a, I'm a worthless piece of trash. And I knew at that moment, God knew everything I've ever done wrong. I was guilty. I was so dark and lonely and empty inside. Understand, there's two kinds of skeptics in the world today. Number one, there's a skeptic who's truly looking for answers. I was a skeptic, and I was truly looking for answers, though. I wanted to see something. And number two, there's a skeptic that simply refuses to believe. Their minds are already closed. So let me ask you, if you're a skeptic, because I was, I wonder which skeptic you are. Are you the one that's really looking for answers? Or are you the one that just simply refuses to believe anything? For the skeptic that simply refuses to believe, they've already made up their mind. Here's some examples of skeptics that are closed to any kind of possibility. In 1838, an Oxford professor named Erasmus Wilson said that when the Paris Exhibition closes. This is in 1838. Electric light will close with it, and it will never be heard of again. Obviously, he didn't see the lights. In 1895, Lord Kelvin, a British mathematician and physicist, he said this. Heavier than air, flying machines are impossible. He also said in 1897 that radio has absolutely no future. Let's just say he's not batting a 1,000, okay? You kind of missed it on both of those. Yes, everyone in life can make predictions, and they can say things that aren't true. Even some of the smartest men in our history have been wrong. Like Albert Einstein, in 1932, he said this quote, There is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. Yeah, you missed that one. And last but not least, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, said this in 1943. I think that there is a world market for maybe five computers. Yes, five. Count them. Yeah, he was a real visionary. Uh, I looked up on the Internet today, uh, just a couple hours ago, how many computers are there in the world today? They said there is 2 billion computers in the world today. He missed it by a few. And if you want to count smartphones, because when I look at the first computer I bought in 1995, my smartphone has 10 times the ability that my first computer had. So if you want to include smartphones, which are smarter than most computers, uh, there's 3.8 billion smartphones. So between computers and smartphones, there's 5.8 billion of them in the planet. Yeah, he missed it by a little bit. Yes, the faithful receive... The faithless do not. Which brings up our second point. The hiding are filled. Those that were hiding were filled. Let's read about it here. John chapter 20 verse 19 says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. Okay, so this is still Sunday. Jesus had just risen from the dead. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were, right? For fear of the Jews. So they were hiding. The doors were shut. Pull those windows down. Close the windows. Okay, Get the shades down. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. So it's all dark in the room. We're all hiding. Got a candle going on. And all of a sudden, bam! Jesus appears in the center of the room. He says, peace be with you. Yeah, I guess so. And he had said this because they were petrified. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay. So he, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. Well, in verse 15, Jesus again he had appeared earlier in this chapter to Mary Magdalene. And then she went back. She's the one that told, you know, the disciples that he is risen. They said, that yeah, you're nuts. You're just some crazy woman. But then they ran to the empty tomb, proving those who seek the Lord find him. It was only Mary that was going back to the tomb twice. And who did the Lord first appear to? Mary Magdalene. Those who seek will find. She was seeking the Lord. She found him. Yet at this point, not one of the disciples had seen Jesus. And for them, they didn't know what to believe, for they saw Jesus dead, they saw him buried, their hopes seemed to be dashed, fear had consumed them, darkness had surrounded them. What would they do, and where would they go? They thought being associated with Jesus might mean death for them. If, If they're able to take Jesus and kill him, what are they can do to us? Understand, they put themselves into this own pit of misery. Why? Because Jesus told them several times what was going to happen. They shouldn't be fearful and afraid. Jesus told them multiple times. Jesus made it obvious to them. In Matthew 17, he says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. The Bible says, They were deeply grieved by that. What? He said it again in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered into the chief priests, and they will hand him over to mock and scourge and crucify him. But he'll rise again on the third day. He told them multiple times. He told them in Matthew chapter 16. He told them in Matthew chapter 17. He told them in Matthew chapter 20. Back to Matthew 17:22, it said that the disciples were deeply grieved over it, deeply grieved. In the original language, that means that there was a deep physical pain coupled with sorrow, of spirit. that it seemed overwhelming. How could they ever recover from such a, a sorrow? It's amazing how they missed it, though, how it just seemed to fly right over their heads. But later on that night, as Jesus rose again from the dead, Jesus planned to make a little house call on the fearful and afraid disciples. Yes, he found them shaking with fear. I wonder what condition Jesus would find us in if he made a house call on us today in our current situation. Would he find you overwhelmed? overwhelmed, we have a global pandemic, we're overwhelmed, we're we're heavily burdened, we don't know how we're going to make our bills, would he find you living in sin, maybe no one else knows, or would he find you full of faith, serving him, being a light, shining bright in this dark world that we're living in, we live in one of the darkest cities in the world, second largest city in the United States, the city that sets culture for the known world, movies coming out of here, music, all of this, darkness, darkness, darkness. How would he find you? Just a question. But getting back to the disciples, could you imagine hiding, being so fearful and afraid All the windows closed and and suddenly out of nowhere, bam, Jesus is in the room. He lights up the room. These guys probably jumped out of their skin. That's why Jesus had to tell them twice, peace be with you. Yes, Jesus, when he's present, all his peace comes in like a wave. And his peace is a quietness of rest. Then he showed them. The nail prints in his hands and his feet, just so you would know that he was real. How amazing is this? Verse 20 said that once they saw him, they rejoiced. Their fears must have been instantly turned into tears of joy. I wonder if there are any of you here tonight that have, in a sense, been living like these disciples. Maybe you've been locked up inside. Maybe you have closed all the doors and windows of your life. Maybe you've been hurt, abused, kicked, discarded by this world. Maybe you're a product of the COVID panic. Well, know this. Jesus wants to stand in your midst. He wants to stand in your darkness. A darkness that you become accustomed to living in. And he wants to shine on you.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app, available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org as well as writing to P.O. Box 347